Death is inevitable. Or is it? Today I will tell you the secret of immortality hidden within the mythology and poetry of our ancestors. But to do this we first need to understand our ancestors' thoughts about death over the last 100,000 years or so. And we will do this by examining some of the oldest myths we know that explain why we die and why we think there is an afterlife and use this to understand how humanity's views of death have changed over time. And if this sounds interesting, then grab yourself a cup of tea and welcome to Crackenford. Some of humanity's oldest mythology is about death. And these myths have been told for tens of thousands of years. Myths that have been told all over the world and in various forms and with various motives. And by following these myths alongside known human migrations, we can understand through archaeology and the DNA analysis, we can see how these myths grew and changed alongside cultural development. And if you watch until the end of the video, not only will you understand the original meaning behind stories such as the biblical Adam and Eve, but you'll also understand how to be immortal. And so, before I tell you some of the myths and their meaning, first let me spend just a minute explaining the academic process used in this research, a process called phylogenetics. It's a process that I've discussed in some of my other videos if you want to understand it in more detail. But as a synopsis, the myths we tell behave in a similar manner to DNA in the fact that they are a good record of cultural ideas. They change slowly over time and often leave a trail of where myths have been. And myths are important as they are representations of the truth of our ancestors' beliefs and should be respected because of this. But they also have the ability to traverse language and borders and yet remain unchanged. Jack and the Beanstalk is, after all, still Jack and the Beanstalk, whether it is told in Norwegian under the northern lights overlooking a Norwegian fjord or being told by the Yanomanorians by the Amazon River under the canopy of a tropical rainforest. And this makes myths a useful tool in understanding the older cultural beliefs and if they evolved and migrated, especially when aligned to the other data, such as archaeological and DNA findings. The data about myths we will look at today that focuses on death are all from a source called Berserkin's database, which is a repository of many thousands of motifs from over a thousand different places across the world. And now would be a good time to say that the research for this video could only have been carried out due to the support of my patrons, who have not only supported this channel, but have helped fund my research projects, including the translation of Berskin's database from Russian into English. And most of my patrons now have access to this English version of the database. Now, from this database, all myths about death were identified where a reason for death was mentioned. And this was to ensure that this research only included myths where death was part of the ontology rather than myths in which people just die for other random reasons. And from this database, using this scope, we find that there are tens of motifs found. And so I will look at the key ones and tell you some of the myths associated with them. And these myths are ones we consider the oldest and show distributions that are global, suggesting 
that they were some of the original myths of death told by humans as they dispersed around the world. When we have covered these, we can then make a judgment about how they dispersed and so can understand their age and their source. And from this, we should be able to understand our ancestors' earliest thoughts on death and immortality. And to move things forward, I will start with a story of two mythic humans called Mawu and Spidery. And this is from the region of Togo in West Africa. Mawu created the humans and animals and afterwards he declared that if someone dies, then they shall return to the earth. Spidery said, but that's not good. You should change that. We don't want humans living forever. Then Mawu picked up a piece of fruit and placed it on the water and said, just as the fruit always floats on water, so will man live forever on earth. But Spidery threw a stone onto the water and that immediately sank. He said, Mawu, you should agree with me that when a human dies, he will disappear like this stone and never return. Mawu thought for a moment and then nodded and agreed. It was just a short time after this that Spidery's son died in a terrible accident and Spidery came to Mawu and said, could you change your mind and let humans live forever? But Mawu refused saying it was too late to change their decision. And so that is why when you are dead, you are not coming back. You see, if Mawu had changed his mind, then humans would return to the earth, just like the moon that dies and lives again. This myth's motif tells of a discussion between two mythical beings, one who wishes to make humans mortal and the other wishes to maintain human immortality and uses an analogy of a stone and a piece of fruit to represent human's fate. The opinion of the first being is upheld, but then their friend or relatives die and the mythic figure wishes to change the decision, but alas it's too late. Now this isn't the first thing most people think of today if you ask them to think about death. Most talk about funerals, graveyards and burials, but these belong to ritualistic behaviour that may not be as old as you think. The first modern human burial we see in Africa is dated to 78,000 years ago. A family of Stone Age hunter-gatherers buried their young child at the mouth of a cave complex at Panga Yasedi. The child was given the name Mtoto by scientists and was laid to rest in a fetal position in a pit in the ground before being deliberately covered up. And when found 78,000 years later, the archaeologists said that you could tell there was a feeling of grief infused within the burial. However, what we can't say from the burial alone is whether the people who buried them at all had a belief in the afterlife or reincarnation. But what we can say is that through a burial, there was an emotional process going on and this action suggested that Mtutu had another life to come, that he was not forgotten about when he died. And this gives us a rare insight into the glimpse of how our ancestors may have thought about death at this time. You see, burials in prehistoric Africa are rare and when they have been found, they're usually of children. And so there's still much unknown about our ancestors' thoughts all these years ago. But this burial, despite being 78,000 years old, is not the earliest hominid burial we know. The oldest deliberate burials we see are in the middle Paleolithic period, around 130 to 100,000 years ago, at Mount Carmel and the Galilee in Israel. Here we see 
two populations are a mix of modern humans and Neanderthals burying up to 40 individuals. And what is interesting is that the burial practices of the two populations are very similar and consist of placing the bodies into a prepared pit, sometimes including grave goods, and then deliberately filling the pit. And thus we can consider it a burial. However, we do have to acknowledge some caution, as these findings do not all have complete academic consensus about whether they are actually buried or not, or indeed include grave goods. For example, and I'll go slightly off topic, but some burials in this cave had large stones on top of the pits, but these could have fallen from the cave ceiling. And some graves seem to have had flowers left in the grave, with the body, as we can see, much pollen was found around the body. And whilst that seems like a thoughtful gift in the grave, there is evidence to suggest that local burrowing rodents have a fondness to build tunnels near buried bodies. And so they could have easily taken grasses and flowers into those burrows by the body, leaving those pollen traces. Now I'm going to firmly sit on the fence of this as I'm not an archaeologist, but I did want to highlight some of the challenges faced, even with such a specific finding when looking at burials. But if this interests you further, I can heartily recommend Professor Alice Roberts' book called Ancestors, which discusses this much, much more. The myths involving burial often tell of a forced burial, and to help explain this, the Aranda tribe of the First Nation Australians in the north of the country have a story where women come out of a crack in the earth, and these are followed by men. The men came out slowly, the first one finding time to befriend many women, and so the other men who followed envied his closeness to those women, and so killed him and buried him in the ground. But the first man started to rise from this grave, and so he was pierced with a spear and firmly trampled back into the ground, and so dead and buried, he was unable to return to the mortal world. If any of the ancient bodies found were buried deliberately, then it shows that our ancestors had concern for the welfare of the body after death, as such a ritual activity actually protects corpses from scavenging animals and so allows human dignity to be maintained. Although we must also say that on its own it doesn't reflect a belief in another level of existence. Not directly, it does suggest that the person who died was thought about after death, but we also see some cultures, even today, where bodies are deliberately left in the open and so are taken to the other world by animals. And this is often because it is believed that animals such as birds and dogs are animals that can cross between realms, uh, the other world and this world. And it is written about in rituals such as uh, the gaze of the dog. And I'll talk about more about that in this video. But saying that, with this first burial, there is a glimpse of thinking that there could be belief in the afterlife. And that is because gifts were placed with the dead, alluding to a belief in rebirth after death or in an afterlife. And if so, where did these people go? The other world is often misconceived by people as a paradise, just like heaven, if you were, as it is often described as a place where you want for nothing. But that isn't because there is a surplus of things such as food and warmth and time. It is because the other world was originally a place where there was no food, no warmth, no time. But also 
There was no hunger, no cold. It was timeless. It was a place of absence, almost like a world opposite to ours. And this may be because it was sometimes perceived through reflections in water, but also because it was the opposite of life. Descriptions of this other world are discussed in many Indo-European texts where its concepts have evolved somewhat, and this place was considered, at this time, a physical destination, often considered to the south or to the east. Although I can't recall a good myth that solely talks of this place in a way that is easy to understand, so what I can do is give you an indication of how it was considered in the Indo-Iranian world, by reading a passage from the Mahabharata. And this describes Yama's palace, Yama being the Lord of the Dead. And it goes like this. This hall is splendid, O King, being hundreds of miles in length and width, or even more, O Pandava. Sparkling bright as the sun, moving at pleasure in every direction, it is not excessively cold nor excessively hot, but gladdeningly spirit. There is no pain nor old age there, no hunger, thirst, nor anything disagreeable. There is no misery or fatigue, nor any perversity. All desires are fulfilled there, those which are divine and those which are human. The food and drink are flavourful and abundant, O tamer of foes. There is a myth type that has people being made mortal after taking food. And so, before I tell you this next myth, it can only really be understood if you know that the name of the hunter, Lebe, means death and he therefore falls into the motif where death is the curse for exchanging gifts in this case food lebby was a proud man who lived alone in the woods although no one was really sure where he was known to be a hunter and he ate nothing but meat one day the spider was walking through the woods and he came across lebby's house he asked if anyone was in but there was no answer as lebby was out hunting but the spider was curious and waited, and when Lebby returned, he found the spider and asked, What was he doing there? And the spider answered, I was going for a walk and became lost, and happened upon this house. And now it's getting late, and I'm getting hungry. Lebby said, Before I can give you something to eat, you have to say my name. But the spider did not know the man's name and did not eat anything. Don't come back here again, Lebby said. The spider returned to the village and told others about his adventure. In the forest I saw a man who only eats meat. He is a man who goes by the name of Lebby, said some of the villagers, and he is not a good man. You should be careful. The spider thought he was mysterious and remembers the name the people said and went back into the woods. There the spider waited again outside the house and again Lebby was out hunting. When Lebby returned, he said to the spider, Didn't I tell you not to come back? I can't give you something to eat unless you say my name. The spider said, Your name is Lebby. And Lebby gave him something to eat and then said, You are now cursed as you have said my name and it will bring death upon you. But now your bottom will close up and your mouth will become your only hole. That is quite an odd way to end a story, and a horrible way to die. But this story has a very similar plot you may have heard before from the Bible, Adam and Eve, where Eve takes an apple, representing food, from a snake, 
and then Adam and Eve are made mortal after losing their innocence, and this is implied due to them having found knowledge. There is a motif we see from Africa to the Americas where we see that death does not occur until after you die. And what I mean by this is that when you die, some thought you went to this other world, a physical place far away or underground, place with its own rules, often seen like a paradise, but in effect it was a strange place where you wanted for nothing. And it is only when you are there that you can really die. There's also an ancient Greek philosophical term, which is translated as, if you die before you die, you won't die when you die. This tomb may sound a little confusing, but it suggests a similar journey. It means that if you experience the other world in your living life, your mind will live on. And it is thought that this is a reference to the use of psychedelics. And so the experiencing of a trip was seen as taking a journey to the other world. This process of having these experiences were thought to be not uncommon and have been going on for thousands of years. And there are a number of mainstream books about this, such as The Sacred Mushroom and The Immortality Key. But if you really are interested in this subject, then I would strongly recommend leaning towards something academic. And if there is enough interest on the subject, I'll produce a video about this. Just let me know in the comments. Now, a similar motif is that which says that one earthly death is followed by another. And there is a myth from the Bellip Islands in New Caledonia about the keeper of the world of the dead, whose name is T. Univac. And he strikes those that arrive in his world with his wisdom and thus gives them true death. And those that avoid the blow are not really considered deceased and so are allowed to return amongst the living. And similarly, in African myths uh, collected from the fan culture and those from ancient Egypt, uh, they all say that you can only die for good once you're in the other world. And so with these experiences allowing us to think not only that there was a place called the other world, but you weren't actually dead until you died in the other world, possibly inferring that immortality was possible. The following myth combines two very common themes, that of misunderstanding and that of the animal getting immortality after it was initially given to humans. And this myth is from the Amazonian region of South America. Mana was scared of the dark, and this made him worry about death and being alone. One day he asked his father, Poker, who was very old, when he would die. His father said not to worry about death, as he would let Mana know how to continue life, and he would do this by dying. His father said, Bring me poison and I will die now. Mana went into the forest and found a small poisonous frog, which he brought to his father. Poker swallowed it without cleaning it, and so became very ill. And at dusk, Poker called his son and said, Mana, I'm going to die now. And as I go into the sky, I will tell you the instructions that will allow life to continue. And so that night, Poker died. And in the morning, thunder started rumbling and the wind became strong. And as Poker raised into the sky, he repeated these words, Change, change your skin. Change, change your skin. But the thunder and the wind made it very difficult to hear what he said. A man misheard what was said and thought the words were stay, stay where you are. This misinterpretation 
was a terrible one because whilst humans didn't hear the words properly, the snake heard these words, as did the spider and the tick and the grasshopper. And all of these creatures now change their skin and never die. But before this moment, humans did not die. We lived without problems or pain. It wasn't until man became worried about the dark, when the old man died of poison, that the other humans misheard the words that we lost the ability to continue living by changing our skin. Before this, like some animals, we would not have to die. We could change our skin like snakes. But now it's too late and our bodies get tired of its old skin and we die. If we could change our skin, the pain would not bother us and we could live as long as we wanted. This terrible mistake sealed our destiny for all of us. And so we start seeing a pattern in these myths suggesting that humans were immortal and then became mortal. And we often see the same objects appearing in myths representing this motif. Although no myths include the like and subscribe button, which if you press it and that notification bell probably here, it allows me to enjoy more cups of tea and has the potential to increase my chance of immortality. But seriously, it really helps this channel out a lot. So thank you for pressing it. But back to the topic. So immortality and one such object we find talked about a lot in myths of immortality is the moon. It finds its place in myths as it has a periodic property appearing and disappearing every 27 days or so, going from a new moon to a full moon and then back to a new moon. And it was because of this, it was seen as a sign of dying and coming back to life, a sign of being reborn. And alongside the moon, another common motif is the snake. And this is because snakes shed their skin. So allowing it to look as though it is being reborn. And thus, some cultures thought snakes to be immortal. That is unless you cut off its head. Good video to watch on that, by the way. But outside the moon and the snake, we also see the immortality motif linked with the male genitalia and its process of erection and relaxation. An example of this is amongst the Tenitara of Brazil. Here we find a myth about the first man who was suffering from priapism and he sought to soothe himself by sprinkling his special limb with cassava soup. But a snake comes along and tells the woman how to soften his phallus by engaging in coitus. And when the spirits saw this, they became angry and introduced death, saying to the man, from now on, you will have a soft and you will have children and then you will die and your children will grow up and they will have a child. They will die in turn. And so we see a common theme where death is linked to childbirth, because if humans were immortal, there would be no need for childbirth and children. And so it's quite a straightforward you know, idea to understand why children would have, could have been seen as a process that stopped immortality. And again, this is a theme that Adam and Eve in the Bible takes when they have their knowledge. We see many myths with the snake and immortality. And another form of this myth is where the snake intervenes when someone fails a test, which results in death. And one example of this is from Ethiopia amongst the Gudji, where the story goes that a race was arranged to find out who was worthy of immortality, snakes or humans. And as they journeyed along their race route, man meets a woman 
and becomes distracted. And so the snake wins the race and is given the ability to change its skin and so becomes immortal whilst man remained mortal. Again, implying that knowledge between man and woman is to blame for the loss of immortality and that is directly linked to children and childbirth. Now, there are also many myths that tell of how snakes gained immortality through its ability to change its skin and this comes at the expense of humans. We saw this in the story I've just told. We also see in a story from Monorelu folklore and spread through Trobriand Islands, New Hebrides and Admiralty Islands and Guano Canal. And here, the folklore tells of how men used to change their skins much like snakes until an instant where a grandchild saw her grandmother changing her skin so she would look as young as her and the grandchild was frightened and didn't recognise her grandmother and so she pushed her grandmother over. And this process of rejuvenation was interrupted and the grandmother stayed in her old skin. And from then on, no one was ever able to change their skin again. And in the island of Lifu, not far from here, the story goes that due to a fire, the skin of a beautiful woman was burned in an accident as she slept. And so when she put it on after she woke up, she looked like a horrible lizard and so her skin was never changed again. And we see variations of this story where the skin is destroyed or cut into pieces, preventing it from being changed. In fact, many myths about the origin of death refer to a time when immortality, if not the possibility of resurrection, reigned first and describe an event that changed the situation and so became the origin of mortal life. But if you put aside this key motif, myths about death differ significantly between regions of the world. And in fact, even within the same culture at times, we see different types of stories coexist even on the same continents. And so it seems that humans originally thought themselves as immortal. But they have in their myths an event that caused this awareness of mortality and the death of immortality could have come from the first murder or a mistake or an accident or an exchange of items, the cultivation of a particular plant or fire. Or in the case with the Darasa people who live around the Horn of Africa, according to their story, Kono, which is another name for West Africa, there all humanity is descended from Ha's only daughter. And she was the personification of death. And Ha's daughter was given as a wife to Ala Tangana. And in return, having given away her only child, Ha demanded that Ala Tangana give her child whenever she wanted one. Since then, children have paid for their lives with the price of their mother's life. The possible link between childbirth and death is very clear. And the issue is addressed in some of our most well-known stories, such as fairy tales, in which a fairy has a non-human form and therefore cannot give birth because even though she wants to have children, she knows that this will only come at the cost of her own death. And to overcome this, she humanises herself, to a degree at least, which allows her to marry a human of her choice, and thanks to whom she will give birth, and often her children will keep some kind of property from her animalistic looks that the mother used to have. We see a flavour of this in the story of The Little Mermaid, where a Melusian pact allows this humanisation, leaving 
no trace of the animal nature of the now human wife, but if this pact is broken, then the human wife turns back into a mermaid and will return to her eternal world. And then if anyone on the earth sees her again, it would be considered a sign of death. I spent much of this video talking about the most common myths and their most common motifs of death. But what does our research say about how these myths came to be, their origin, which myth was first, and so what our ancestors believed? Well, the results I'm about to discuss are based on statistical probability of a motif being part of the earliest myths of death, what we could call the proto-mythology of death, and the probabilities are derived from running statistical analysis against these myths and their distribution in a number of different models. And I will link to the study in the description of this video, which has the details of exactly how that was done. And the conclusion is that there are a set of myths that we have confidence that they originated from an out of Africa dispersal around 70,000 years ago. And these were arranged in three groupings from the youngest to the oldest. And I've only included those myths to which we are confident on their ages and known evolution. The youngest of these sort of global myths are men are mortal because the stone thrown in the water has sunk or they missed a chance to look like wood or similar organic matter which floats and people become mortal because they don't hear or respond to a call from a being who promises them immortality or who brings with them death. Next we have myths that are old and which are found in Africa and Australia suggesting that they came along with the earliest migrations out of Africa and we get here people who have not come back to life since someone buried one of them or compacted soil into a grave, beings capable of changing skin who can rejuvenate and reptiles and invertebrates are opposed to humans as immortal beings or as the cause of death sometimes in the case of a snake because of a bite and we also see that uh, death is personified, it is not the equivalent of the master of the dead and it goes to earth to kill men. We also see someone suggests various proposals to make the world an easy place to live and free humanity from death and the difficulty of work and his partner successfully rejects the proposed ideas and we also see the frog or toad are responsible for introducing death. And then there is the beings capable of changing skin can rejuvenate today and men are no longer able to rejuvenate like this because one of them was disturbed during this rejuvenation or was not recognised by his family in its new form. And we also see that men are mortal because they were made of matter that is corruptible and easy to destroy. But then we have the very oldest myths spread all over the world in such a way that these are very common motifs based on our earliest thoughts of death. Here we see that those that are linked to the moon, where the moon is linked to immortality and mortality, either because it can rejuvenate or be resurrected, or because its inhabitants are immortal, or it decides whether humans should live or die. And we also have a god or deity sending a person to carry either an instruction or a given object, but the messenger transforms, forgets or replaces the object he should transmit, and the consequence is fatal for the human species or animal species, or they introduce death into humanity. We also see stories where the lizard is responsible for the introduction of death or the consumption of a plant product makes human mortals. But possibly the oldest myth we have 
regarding death is that of the earthquakes, which are caused by dead people who live underground. Or earthquakes are a sign that inhabitants living underground are trying to get out, as this is very much linked to some of the earliest creation myths and the tree of life, where we see people arise from the ground through this tree. And I discuss this in my video on the early forms of creation myths found here. If we combine all this information together and try and form a conclusion, then it is this. That the reconstructed proto-mythology shows that humanity once considered itself immortal and became mortal after an event that is remembered in myth. The event itself though isn't necessarily the fault of man, it can often be associated with a connection to another object that is reborn, such as the moon or a snake. And since this point in time, the dead have remained dead and generally locked underground when they are dead. And this may have given calls for burials. But I promised you the secret of immortality, something that appears to have been taken from us, if those myths are to be believed. And so, for me, I will go back to the culture I am most familiar with, the Indo-Europeans. And they have a poetic phrase in which I believe there is so much truth. And that is that fame does not decay. It suggests you should try and achieve something in your life that people will remember you by. In effect, by understanding death, it makes you want to live a better life. But if we take this Indo-European phrase a step further, then I think the following is true about death. And that is that you don't die when you die, but you only die when your name is said for the last time. If you found this video interesting, then I'd recommend watching my video on the creation myth, and I have many other videos like this on my channel for you to watch if you've already seen this one. And so, till then, please stay safe and stay well. And this was Crackenford.